Welcome to the Jazz Shapers podcast from Mishkondorea. What you're about to hear was originally broadcast on Jazz FM. However, the music has been cut or shortened due to rights issues. This is Jazz Shapers with Elliot Moss on Jazz FM. Listening colour in partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. Good morning, it's Jazz Shapers with me, Elliot Moss. It's the place where the shapers of business join the shapers of jazz, soul and blues, I'm sure you know by now. My guest today is Pip Murray, founder of the nut butter brand Pip and Nut, one of my own personal favourites. I have to disclose that right away. She's a keen marathon runner and a fierce foodie, and Pip had the inspiration for the brand when she couldn't find a nutritious and, of course, tasty protein source to fuel her training without the refined sugar and palm oil. Taking matters into her own hands, Pip began, as she says, messing around with nut butter flavours and ingredients in her own kitchen. She started selling at a London street market and realised there was scope for a scalable business, and she decided to go for it. Pip and Nut eventually launched into Selfridges in January 2015. Now four years old and boosted by growing food trends such as veganism, Pip and Nut can be found in five international markets and wait for it, over 5,500 stores around the UK and Europe. We'll be talking to Pip in a few minutes about all of this, about crowdfunding and mentoring and her belief in learning through doing. We've also got the wonderful sounds of, amongst others, Stan Getz, Georges Gilberto and the Hot 8 Brass Band. That, ladies and gentlemen, is today's Jazz Shapers. Here's John Schofield with What I'd Say. was John Schofield with What I'd Say. You may remember the original. It was by Ray Charles, another one of my absolute top favourites. I'm with Pip Murray. Hello. Hello. How are you? Absolutely wonderful with the sunny weather outside today. Good. It's nice. It makes a difference. You are the creator. You are the the maestro behind this fabulous brand, which I did uh, declare uh, love for earlier, and now I'm declaring love officially, <laughs> Pip, Pip and Nut. Um, tell me a little bit about how this idea began for you? Where did it start? Yeah, I mean, I think when I look back, it probably sounds quite random. Six years ago, when I remember telling my boss when I quit my job, oh, I'm going to start a nut butter brand. I remember, I do actually remember the moment when he looked at me and he was like, you're a bit crazy. <laughs> um, but, I mean, it came from a real love of the product, if I'm really honest. You know, I was doing loads of marathon running and I guess... When you're doing sort of long distance running in particular, obviously you're looking for ways to kind of like fuel your training and always been a believer in like something's got to feel like a treat at the end of the run. You've got to reward yourself. And for me, peanut butter was my absolute addiction. I'm still that person that stands guiltily by the kettle as I'm brewing a cup of tea, spooning a jar. Of you're not spoon. the only one. Yes, getting the jar <laughs> with a spoon. And and I just love it. I just always felt like it really delivered on all fronts. It's a product that is totally addictive, delicious, um, unctuous, um, indulgent, as well as being nutritionally good for you. Like it's Our products are pretty much 100% nuts, a bit of sea salt. And so you get this like completely permissible treat which I don't think many healthy uh, products 
really deliver upon that and and that really what that's what got me started the kind of idea of it and and seeing about six years ago that a lot of products that I picked up in supermarkets every single one of them had palm oil in most of them had sugars and I was like you know what you could create a much simpler much more honest product um, and really bring it to life with loads of flavors and um, things like almond butter that didn't really exist in the UK it was massive in America and I was like you know this product needs to come to the UK so it was a few things coming at it, but very much like my background wasn't food and drink whatsoever. So I was coming at it as a consumer being like, this is a product I love, something I could improve about it. And also an opportunity to innovate within what is a really traditional part of the supermarket. It's the unsexy aisle right at the back of store, um, you know, with the jams and the, and the lemon curds. So it's not the most glamorous section, but I loved it. And I thought that could be an opportunity to disrupt an area that hadn't really been looked at before. At that point, you were working at the Science Museum. That's right. right. Let's just be clear. And you've done a degree in geography, humanities, and humanistic studies. Anthropology, geography and anthropology. Geography and anthropology. Pretty okay. similar. Very, very, quite very, useless. Very useless. I mean, useless <laughs> in the sense of someone who's then going to go and make butter exactly, from nuts. Yeah. It's one thing wanting the product and it's another thing deciding you're going to make it why Mm. you I mean I get all that stuff and I get the you know here's a chance to disrupt but where did that desire to actually do something about it come from yeah I mean I've always been a pretty independent person um you know I I mean I had a career before I started up the brand but really what I'd been out of university two years and I think I was definitely searching for something that I felt was more me. I'd, you know, enjoy my job at the Science Museum, but I didn't find it challenging or stretching. And I think food had always played an important part of my life. I grew up in a large family. I've got three older sisters, you know, dinner tables were, you know, dinner you know, meals were a really important part of our family. And I think from an early age, I, I, I cooked from a really early age. My mum basically stopped wanting to cook dinner for all of us. So she gave us each a day that we had to cook. And from that point onwards it was part of the time that Jamie Oliver was getting big and I remember picking up one of his cookbooks and loving it and I think that kind of thread of food has run through me from very early age about 12 and I think living in London went to uni in London you know you're in the hot spot of all the amazing food and drink scene that is here and it was what six seven years ago was when the food truck scene really started to kick off and I think more and more independent brands were creeping into supermarkets and I was like, you know, this food scene is something that I find really interesting. So I think there isn't, wasn't really necessarily like a, a light bulb ding, ding, ding moment where I thought, you know, I'm going to just set this up, I'm going to go for it. But it sort of crept in on me and I was sort of searching and figuring out what well, maybe food and drink is a space I want to be in and, and therefore within food and drink, where do I want to go? Do I want to have a food truck? Do I want to start a food brand? Do I want to have a food blog? And it slowly filtered down into being like, actually, there's a product here that I really like and I could see it being a national brand. And I like the thought of having a brand that can not only deliver a bit of happiness through eating it, but also the kind of through your own mission. And our mission is to kind of help people love food that loves them. And that's all about championing healthier food and encouraging people to eat better. And I really loved that. And I thought, actually, this is something that I think I could pursue. It struck me as you were talking, it's not one thing and it wasn't one moment. That fact that you rolled in, it was about, you know, a bit about making people happy, a bit about your vision for healthy food, a bit about the fact you cooked and it was in your head from when you were 12. It's just who you are. Mm. And, I think- and, and sorry, my, and my question is, is being an entrepreneur who you are then? Because all those things are slightly different to actually the reality of day-to-day running a business. Yeah, and... 
I never really thought that I'd ever run a business. It, it didn't even cross my mind. Um, I went to a pretty traditional school. It was all about going on and getting a solid job and moving through your career and up the ladder or whatever. Um, my parents were a doctor and my, my mum was a nurse. So public sector, you know, they just didn't... Business wasn't really in our, you know, in our conversation. But I think there are a few things that kind of thread through me that kind of link to why being an entrepreneur actually kind of fits my kind of personality. I'm incredibly determined, um, quite headstrong. And I almost also draw analogies with like marathon running in the way that you kind of have to have this level of resilience and kind of um, eye on the prize and kind of, you know, you're looking at the 20, 26 mile marker and thinking, you know, you can get there. And it's a similar thing with a business, I think. But um, I, I, I think one of the things that is quite common with people that start up businesses, I'm dyslexic, as are many business owners that kind of start something up, Richard Branson being the, the most famous one. And I think with that, you know, you're always striving to push yourself hard. You're always having to kind of accept failure because often you're never really performing up to your level of kind of your intelligence. You're always a little bit low. And I think those sorts of things as you kind of grow up really build a certain mm. type of personality within you. So... Yeah, I'd say that kind of that resilience is probably one of my biggest assets. I'm quite hardy when it comes to getting knocked back. I kind of never really take no for an answer. And I think that kind of has been ingrained in me from a really early age. Is the, and I read about the dyslexia, and I think you're right, there is a correlation between people that are dyslexic and then getting on and doing stuff. Is it partly also because if you're not reading, you're a good doer, you're actually practical? Yeah. I, all the dyslexic people I know, A, are super bright, yeah. part one, but part two, they're really good at just, actually doing what's in front of them yeah about you talked about cooking um i know other people that can make stuff and it's not they've gone in they're not manufacturers but they're just they just see what needs to be done and they get on with it in terms of though when it comes to reading do do you have to get i mean you can of course you can read but it's just not yeah. as good as it should be in writing you sort of make some mistakes that aren't really there how do you get around that um well I've I've had to like train myself. I had years and years of classes to kind of get around it. Um, and to be honest, now I just kind of accept if I send a bit of a dodgy email, sometimes it's fine. Um, <laughs> you just kind of. I know plenty of people that aren't dyslexic that send dodgy emails yeah. as well, as we all know. <laughs> but I mean, I, I know that, for instance, I'm not great at being that person to fact check something and make sure all the like numbers are exact. Or you know, I'll, there are certain things which I'll I'll know to pass to someone else to proofread something, check some packaging for any you know, spelling mistakes, you know, I'm not brilliant at that. And I think you just get over it. You know that that's just not your skill set. I'm not necessarily a real detail-orientated person. A bit more broad brushstrokes, a bit more practical, like you say. Um, yeah, I like kind of physically doing stuff. Um, so well, I think, yeah, different and, attributes. And the other areas where you're not good, it's, it, I think another talent that I've noticed of the people I talk to is they're really good at saying, I'm just not good at this, so I get a person in. Where else are you deficient, as it were, so you go, I need one of those, I need one of those? I am. Um, so like it's now you're, you're the prime minister's questions. What's your weakness? And they go, "Well, my weakness <laughs> is I'm really, really good with people." And you go, yeah. no, "That's not a weakness." It's like turn it into something. Yeah. I am a. Um, this is one of those kind of uh, positives that's negatives. But I'm an eternal optimist. I really am. Um, I all always look on the bright side, and I think that can also bite you in the um, backside sometimes when you're you're particularly having to be a bit more realistic and practical about I don't know, for instance how will a new product perform? I'll, I'll always be like, it's going to smash it out of the park. We're going to, you know, sell it in all these stores. It's going to go amazing. And sometimes you need a realist to come in and be like, well, let's just like manage the risk around this. And, and you have some of those in your business. Absolutely. And I, I, they are 
incredibly useful to kind of rein me in and not not put cold water on something, just protect the business. And um, I think it's important to have that optimist in the room that kind of um, gets people energised and excited and sees the bigger picture. But equally, um, there have been moments where it's definitely hurt us where I've almost been too optimistic and we've been chasing something that's just not achievable so yeah I think it's a bit of that balance and that's kind of what I look for is when I'm sort of building out my team is to try and balance some of the things that I'm not good at um, and, and get other people around me that can help kind of you know build build the team and make it more balanced. Stay with me for much more from my business shaper. It's Pip Murray. She's the founder of Pip and Nut. And if you haven't tried some, you should try some. She's coming back in a couple of minutes. But first, we're going to hear from one of our partners at Mishkondorea, and they've got some advice for your business. So I'm Joe Hancock, the cybersecurity lead at Mishkondorea. One of the most common problems I see people have at the moment is almost over-collecting data. There's an obsession with data and digital. That's a really good thing. It presents brilliant opportunities. But at the same time, collecting data that you don't really need or storing data that you really shouldn't store anymore prevents a massive risk. At the same time, as having that data gives you some good kind of business outcomes, having it there means there's a good a target for attackers. It means that you're much more likely to lose it. And if you don't delete it properly, you're much more likely to breach regulation. And all of this really starts to create a bit of a risk for business that isn't very well understood and isn't really well managed at the moment. Another whole set of problems that could be avoided very simply are just by doing the basics. If you use complex passwords, change your password regularly. Don't use the same password for, for multiple services, as everybody does. Even just one or two different passwords will stop you being the victim of some of the large data breaches we've seen soon. They'll protect your identity. They'll help protect your bank accounts and your finances. Just by doing very, very simple things, either as an individual or as a business, you can remove most cyber risk that's out there at the moment. Nothing can ever be 100% secure, but at the same time, you really can make your own life and your business much better by doing these things. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business but it's personal. There are absolutely loads of ways for you to enjoy all our former Jazz Shapers and indeed to hear this programme again with Pip. You can ask Alexa, she's very clever, or he, depending on who you are, let's be gender neutral. You can ask Alexa to play Jazz Shapers and there you can find uh, many of the recent programmes or if you pop Jazz Shapers into iTunes or your preferred podcast platform, then you can enjoy the full archive over there too. But back to today's guest, it's Pip and she's the founder of the Nut Butter brand Pip and Nut. Lucky that you call Pippa, really. Was that intentional? <laughs> no, that was a bit of a tongue twister. It is, it is a tongue twister, but it, I suppose it wasn't intentional. <laughs> um, those first few days and months and years of setting this thing up, was it fun or was it a bit seat of the pants and a bit nervy? Yeah, it Truthful was answer. definitely more the latter. Yeah. Um, I think the first couple of years, actually, if I'm honest, are the absolute toughest. And in particular, when you're actually just starting something up, when you've not even got any sales to your, um, to your, to your spreadsheets, whatever, um, you know that when you're trying to figure out how to make the product, you're trying to convince people to give you money to help launch it. You're trying to work out what the positioning from the brand is, but but also you're working completely. In my case, I'm a sole founder, completely by yourself, and it's really quite isolating. And and also, I think isolating from your sort of family and friends who understand that you're starting up a business but probably don't understand the context of what your vision is for that brand and, on, and that product and and probably think it's a bit of a waste of time and, and, and that you should go and get a proper job and all that stuff and you haven't got any proven track record to kind of sit back and be like well I'm doing it we're doing well so yeah I actually found the first couple of years really hard work and I think the first year um, in fact probably the first 
two to three years, I used to count every single month to be like, yep, not gone bankrupt. And I'd, I'd literally be, you know, making like so, celebrating every month that we were still trading because you are always on that slight edge. You're always got not quite enough money in the bank account um, or you've got enough, but maybe not comfortable amount if mm. you like. And, and you, you don't really know whether or not a buyer's going to buy it and you're going to get those key listings that you need to be able to keep the business thriving. And so there's so much uncertainty. And I think that's one of the things about having a business is that you've got to be able to live with a level of uncertainty. It's got You've got to sit comfortable with it because to some extent you'll always have that regardless of what stage of business you're at. There will be something that could come right around the corner that you never even anticipated and that's just something you're going to have to deal with. And I think... Yeah, in the first couple of years when I was getting used to kind of being independent and running the business myself and familiarizing myself with food and drink and what that all was, um, yeah, it was really unnerving. But at the same time, quite exhilarating and liberating and thinking, God, I don't I don't have a boss. Like, mm. how weird is this? I don't have to tell anyone what I'm going to do today. So there were, with that comes like huge kind of benefits and... You know, you enjoy the good times when you when you can as much as, you know, you <laughs> panic a little bit in the bad. So, yeah, it's that, it's that lovely kind of, you feel like you're really living, I think. And, and I imagine that feeling like you're really living is juxtaposed with not really knowing what you're doing. Yeah. When you really didn't know what you were doing, it, I, I read somewhere that you're, and I think I listened to a, watched a film you were, you were featured in, um, that you said you're really comfortable with asking for advice. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's from humility or from desperation or from just you're not embarrassed I mean what is it that enables you to because some people I think are too proud to do that it doesn't doesn't seem that you are yeah I think um I think there's an element of kind of being quite proud of myself for even starting something in the first place and I actually whenever I speak to anyone starting up a business whether it's in the first month or first 10 years I'm always like yeah good on you you've gone you've got off your thumb and um you know you've gone out there and just put yourself out there in a really quite vulnerable way um and so I always find that when, when I'm asking a stupid question I just think well I don't care like I don't I know I don't know everything so and I'm coming from a perspective of I'm just going to give it a go and give it a shot um and I think there's also an element of I just love learning new stuff so I'd rather ask a question and, and put myself out there and um try and learn something new than just sit on my hands and be a bit embarrassed I just I, I just almost don't understand it where people try and pretend that they're more than they are um I just think be as open and honest as you possibly can and it really helps endear people to you I think um it gets you way further down the line in these last few years as you've seen success happen um, now we're a few years in and, uh, and it's I think five as I mentioned over five and a half thousand stores are stocking your products what are the moments that give you the most joy? Is it the new product development? I know there's this Cherry Bakewell mm. concoction, which I haven't had yet. Um, is it is it actually watching people eat your lovely product? Is it walking down the aisle of the less than sexy part of Sainsbury's, Tesco's, or wherever it might be? Which, which moment do you go, this is pretty good? All of those are great. I think my ultimate, though, is that as much as possible, I want to see people's reactions to the brand. So as an example, we did Taste of London in Regent's Park. Brilliant event, um, real foodie event, and you get a great crowd, always up for a laugh. 
And I love it when I'm standing, if I'm doing like a sampling, and I do like going to them still because it, it, it brings the brand to life. You see the products out, you see our stand looking brilliant, people trying it, engaging with us. But the thing that I love the most is when you might be standing there and someone will, will walk past the stand and say to their friend, oh, I love Pip and Nut. And they'll say it without prompt, without trying the product, they'll just be passing comments to a friend. And that for me is what really gets me out of bed. I'm like, oh, I love the fact that People love the brand. That there's this real warmth to it. Um, Have you advertised? I mean, I don't think I've seen any. No, no. We're about to start doing our first in September above the line campaign, which that will be a big moment. Um, Is this television then? No, we can't quite afford can't television quite. yet. So but where, be, where might we see it? It'll be the, the sort of like a digital billboards, the six sheets, kind of outside. I don't know supermarkets or on mm. bus stations, and maybe some more interesting kind of pop-up kind of advertising as well but, uh, around Shoreditch. But yeah, that will be a big moment where you see like the, the logo big on a screen. Like That's that, oh yeah, we've made it moment. Um, yeah, right now we do all kind of grassroots activation. Um, but yeah, I think it's when I can hear consumers say without me having to ask them that they love the product or that you get that kind of um, engagement. It's just so cool. It's, it's such an amazing feeling. We'll have our final chat with my guest, Pip Murray, today. Plus, we'll be playing a track from Stevie Wonder. That's all come up in just a moment. Don't go anywhere. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. The music is brilliant today. Not that it isn't always fabulous, but that's uh, another great number. It was Stevie Wonder with As. And just for a few more minutes, I have my business shaper here. She's Pip Murray. Pip, I haven't mentioned the following because it's easy uh, to embarrass my guests and I don't always <laughs> like to, but I'm going to. Uh, Pip Murray, for those of you that don't know, is the winner of the Startup Entrepreneur of the Year at the NatWest Great British Entrepreneur Awards last year, named a Forbes 30 Under 30 last year. It's all last year, it's a bit last year, isn't it? And a Management <laughs> Today's 30 Under 30, also last year, but only just last year. And a Young Entrepreneur of the Year at the Startup.co.uk Awards in 2017. Does this all matter, all these accolades for the chief squirrel, as you're called, and the founder? Are they nice things? Does it make any difference? Yeah, you know what? It, it's a great boost. And it's not just for me. I think it's also for my team. Like, it's a nice feeling to be recognised or or to kind of be, or take a moment and be like, oh, yeah, we're not doing so bad, are we? You know, like, it can be tough like start starting a business up and trying to scale it and growing it quickly like so to then be like recognized and um you know go to one of those fancy award ceremonies put on a nice dress for once and think oh <laughs> we've won but uh, i meet a lot of people who are very tough right? i look at them and i'm, I'm like i might quiver, <laughs> i might quiver a bit you, you seem quite the opposite you seem like you have this clear mission you wanted to create this product you're as you, you sort of talked about asking questions and being endearing it's not for effect it's just who you are are you tough as well? Do you ever have to make super tough decisions about people or about manufacturing processes or whatever else? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely been times where, you know, someone in the team hasn't quite worked out. It's not been right for either of us and had to let them go and, and think decisions like that and actually then having to, you know, have those conversations, um, 
yeah, A has been a really new thing for me. And yes, I can um, and will have those difficult conversations. But I think when you care so much about something that you're doing and you are so passionate about it, you are also fighting for it as much as anything else. So for instance, if you have an, a, a challenging time with a supplier or whatever it happens to be, and you feel like you're being taken advantage of or, and for whatever reason, I think, yeah, you actually, it comes from the heart as much as anything else. You actually feel quite passionate about making sure that you, you're not being trodden on. Um, so yeah, I think I have quite a soft exterior and I, I, I don't really like that phrase, nice guys finish last. I don't think it's necessarily true. I actually think that, um, and you mentioned it before when we were off air, like, you know, if you give give to people and are, you know, generous with your time or whether it's another business that you offer some advice to or a recommendation or introduce to an investor, whatever it happens to be, I generally think it comes back to you at some point or another. And that's not the reason why I do it. I just think that there is an element of, you know, I've had a lot of people that have given me a lot of support along the way. Um, and I think it's just really good for the whole business, you know, startup culture more broadly to be able to be, you know, kind and generous with people. Um, so it's just my style. Maybe it's a good or a bad thing. I don't really know. But so far it's sort of worked out all right. Um, well, it is who you are. Yeah, and it is also yeah. who you are. And I can see I straight away, it was when I asked the question, you, like, you switched, you went, okay. Serious I'm voice. in killer mode here. <laughs> because if you want to, and I love your phrase, you want to fight for the business. I mean, it's, that's what it's about. It's about the greater good in the long run. Where are you going to go in the long run? Is this just going to be more and more? Are we going to be reading about the, the continuous exponential growth of Pippa Nut? I hope is that, so. Is that what's going to happen? That's the plan. I mean, we have big ambitions for the brand. Um, so my vision is to very much create a brand that has multiple products underneath it. So in lots of different places in the supermarket, I hope to see our brands sitting there. Um, I love product development. Um, so anything that with nuts basically works <laughs> for the brand. Um, it's so a simple got, proposition. A simple proposition. Has it, has it got nuts in it? Yes, yes. good. Great, we can do it. Um <laughs> Uh, but we are very much looking just at the UK. I mean, we, we do do a bit of export, but it's very UK-centric and will continue to be. And I'd love in a few years' time to be able to go up to anyone and say, oh, I you know, run a business called Pippa Nut and for them to be like, oh, yeah, I love that brand or I know it, I've tried it. Not quite there yet. And I think um, that's where I'm sort of looking to in the next few years. Well, listen, really good luck with it. Um, I'm sure it will get there. I love I love the product. It's so great. Uh, it, it really I is. I didn't even I, pay you to I know say you that. Didn't. To be clear, no one's paid me to say anything. I just genuinely do. And I always <laughs> say, as, if you listen regularly, then you will know that I say if I like something and I do like it. Um, just before I let you go, what's your song choice and why have you chosen it? So I've gone for a very mellow tune for hopefully a lovely sunny August uh, day for anyone having a barbecue. And it's um, Alice Coltrane. And I'm going to pronounce this wrong, so forgive me, but it's Journey in Such a Dandananda. Sounds about right. <laughs> uh, and we're going we're gonna to try and play all of it. It's a long track, though, yep. so forgive us if we don't. That was Journey in Sachi Dananda. I hope I said that properly. Uh, Alice Coltrane featuring Pharaoh Sanders, the song choice of my business shaper today, Pip Murray. She talked about her resilience, about her eternal optimism, 
about saying good on you to people that also set up their own businesses, the sense of her loving to learn stuff, and really importantly, as she said herself, I'm fighting for it, and when I fight for it, it's got to be worth it because it's my business. That's it from me and Jazz Shapers. Have a great weekend. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. We hope you enjoy that edition of Jazz Shapers. You'll find hundreds more guests available for you to listen to in our archive. To find out more, just search Jazz Shapers in iTunes or your favourite podcast platform or head over to mishkon.com forward slash jazz shapers.